Well, fellow Rebel Capitalists, hope you're well. So we've got more news with New York Community Bank. Most of you likely saw this one coming, but right now they are on the brink of bankruptcy. Last week, their share price took a massive hit. and Their CEO came out and said that they needed more reserves and they miscalculated a couple of the loans on their, their balance sheet. Uh, and all of us understanding the banking system like we do, kind of said, okay, well, this is where there's smoke, there must be fire. And uh, this is probably not the last that we will hear of New York Community Bank. It's probably not the last that we'll hear of this rolling banking crisis that started in 2023, in March. So let's get right over to actually Yahoo, believe it or not, was uh, the, the report that I thought was the best. Now, the why their share price has plummeted once again today is because they came out and they started meeting with regulators or it was revealed that they have been meeting with regulators. So that's not good. That, that means that there is a very, very high probability that uh, New York Community Bank goes bust just like the balance sheet that they uh, inherited or purchased uh, that was Signature Bank. So uh, let's get right into this Yahoo story and you guys will get further details. And this, uh, believe it or not, this video and the questions that these uh, talking heads ask this uh, bank analyst, uh, very good. I, I was pretty impressed. So just the, the facts here, the numbers, shares of New York Community Bank Corp, I like this, dived. Uh, like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm going to give them props here for the questions that the the people ask, but really we're on, and this is from Reuters, the very first sentence, shares of New York Community Bank Corp dived. Is dived even a word? <laughs> How about dove? Another 14% on Tuesday. Jeez. And, and that's the mainstream media that we are supposed to believe is the arbiter of truth. The mainstream media that is the shining light of what we should aspire to be when it comes to information. And they're the ones that point at all these other groups and say misinformation, disinformation, malinformation. Meanwhile, they've got Community Bank Corp dived another 14%. Okay, I'll, I'll get off that uh, grammatic topic there. So extending a self sell-off since the lender reported a surprise quarterly loss last week and putting the stock track to shed more than half its value in current levels. Yet, I just saw that over the last 12 months or so, now the stock is down like 65%. And it's it was down to about the same level that we saw when Silicon Valley Bank went bust in March of 2023. Now, as of today, down a lot lower, a lot lower. I would be shocked if they didn't go bust. So the frenzied selling since Wednesday has also dragged down shares of peers in the group, uh, as you would imagine, because I don't think this problem is isolated to just New York Community Bank. And I have a view that's a bit different than the expert that they interview here. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, here is where they reference what I was talking about, the Zero Hedge article. The bank's decision to slash its dividend came after mounting pressure. This is what was revealed today, as I understand it. After mounting pressure from Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, a top banking regulator. And this was reported in Bloomberg uh, uh, just yesterday. So 
All right, let's get to this video where I think these uh, announcers ask some good questions. Tanking over the last couple of days after the bank said it's dealing with losses from commercial real estate loans. This following a similar crisis with regional banks like Silicon Valley Bank last year. And for more insight on this and to see if this is a continuing trend for the regional banks, we're talking to Wedbush Securities Managing Director of Equity Research, David Cheverini. David, thank you for joining us here today. Um, what what is the scope of this problem? I think when when we see things like this, uh, not a huge bank, but people are always wondering what the knock on effects are and what's hidden underneath the surface. Yeah, so I would say this is idiosyncratic to New York Community Bank, and the reason for that is at least what I see as the problem areas for New York Community is their office, you know, portfolio is four percent of loans, but uh, another troubled area at least in our view, is rent-regulated multifamily. And those loans make up 22% of New York community's uh, loan portfolio, whereas most of the rest of the regional banks don't have anywhere close to that level of rent-regulated multifamily exposure. So I do expect this to stay mostly contained to New York community. Now, as we progress through 2024, it's not to say that the banking industry won't have issues to contend with. Commercial real estate will be an issue, but I think it'll be managed better at some of the other banks versus New York community with these problem areas. So obviously this is where I disagree, but I think it's very instructive uh, if I, or there's a lot of value if I can articulate why I disagree. So let me give this a shot. What this gentleman is doing, and what I would assume most analysts do, is they they look at the balance sheet of the individual bank and they determine, okay, why is this bank in trouble? Well, they have these assets, they have these liabilities, and this is how I can I can explain why they're in trouble. Okay, so now what I want to do is now that I've determined or come to a conclusion as to what is happening with this one individual individual bank, I have to look at the other balance sheets with these other banks to determine how similar or dissimilar they are to the one that I think has big problems. Now, th this approach obviously makes sense. And he's likely doing this because he's accustomed to fundamental analysis. And when you look at a company, you that's like Warren Buffett, right? You look at its balance sheet, determine whether it's a, a good buy, whether it's a hold, whether it's a sell. And you're, you're, you're doing this within the vacuum of fundamental analysis. But what you're missing is the big picture. And in my view, the entire banking system, and I just talked to Snyder about this just an hour ago or whatever, the, the entire banking system is built on perceived risk. So the when you look at the probability of the banks or an individual bank having problems, you have to not just consider their balance sheet, but you have to also consider their ability to access credit, or let's just call it liquidity, from other banks that are represented or included in this global banking network, right? So if New York, if, if one of the banks in the network goes bust, even if all the other balance sheets within that network are, are completely different than the balance sheet of the one that went bust, the fact of the matter is that the overall perceived risk within the banks that didn't go bust increases. And if the amount of perceived risk 
in the system increases, the amount of liquidity will decrease. And if the amount of liquidity, or uh, uh, Snyder calls it the uh, velocity, the, the circulation of money. If the circulation of money decreases, then that means there's most likely going to have be other problems. There's going to be other banks with similar problems, even though they're, the, comp the composition of their balance sheet is different from New York Community Bank. So from a fundamental standpoint, looking at just this bank's balance sheet, I agree. This, this guy's spot on. But I, I just think he's missing the bigger picture. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Jason Hartman, real estate, and Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. Let's keep going here. Um, David, and I, I do want to talk more broadly about the sector, but I do have one uh, another question about New York community specifically. I mean, the thing that really seemed to take investors off, off guard was by how much it increased its reserves. But as you point out in your note reacting to it, its reserve to loan ratio is still below peers. So do you think that they should even have set aside more in reserve? Yeah, I do think they should have set aside more in reserves because last year, they did have the fortunate um, position of having a $2 billion bargain purchase gain when they acquired the signature bank portfolio and, and the deposits from the FDIC. They should have, in hindsight being 2020, should have built reserves to offset a portion of that gain right in the second quarter. But what they did in increasing their reserves, so from a a whole holistic standpoint, the reserve to loan ratio went to 1.17. The group is more like 1.4 to 1.5. So they're shy there. But the other area, drilling in on multifamily, they took the reserve from 40 basis points to 80 basis points. But based on our calculations, they should have taken it up to 2.4%. Um, so we do think that they're under-reserved related to the rent-regulated multifamily portfolio. And this is a... a Again, a different view. What he's saying is factually correct as far as their reserves. Now, where he's saying his opinion that they should have more reserves. Uh, my argument would be, would that have mattered? If they took the reserve ratio from uh, whatever it was, I, I think 1.7 up to 2 or 2.2, what this gentleman is suggesting, would would that really have mattered? I mean, I don't think the, the amount of reserves that they have is, is really the problem here because at the end of the day, they could have zero reserves. And if risk is low enough, then banks will extend them the credit needed to go ahead and settle or do whatever they would have done with the reserves. And I, I think the problem here is that what's happening with commercial real estate 
is increasing the risk to the degree to which, even if they would have had more reserves, the the problem would have been the same and the result would have been the same. Yeah. And David, could you talk to us big picture about specifically how um, the commercial real estate market is different from, say, the mortgage-backed security market that we see for private housing. And they develop on, the problems develop on very different timelines, lots of different factors involved. With commercial, you have these leases that are 10 years, but how can you kind of give us an appreciation for how long it takes for these problems to surface? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Um, the maturity schedule for these loans is drawn out. It's not like they're all going to mature over the next six months or 12 months. It's more we're talking in terms of you know multiple years. So that's what should enable the banks to manage the issue. Will it be a headwind? Yes. Will they have to increase you know provisions over the next few years? Um, yes, but it should be manageable. Now, could we see some, you know, banks stumble on it? Yes, we think New York community is is one of them, but we think it should be manageable for the most part because of, as you noted, it being spread out over time as opposed to very much in the, in the near term. And on mortgage-backed securities, that's more of an interest rate risk issue, uh, given that uh, most mortgages, of course, are fixed rate loans. Are, are we sure that mortgage-backed securities are just an interest rate issue? I mean, uh, uh, tell that to Lehman Brothers. Tell that to Bear Stearns. And let's not forget that the default rate on mortgages, residential mortgages, that was the the trigger. Now, I'm not saying that that was the the main problem, but that was the trigger to the global financial crisis. Most people think because they watch the Big Short or something like that that the default rate on mortgages went from let's just say two percent up to like twenty percent or thirty percent. Because the banks were just giving loans to anyone that could fog a mirror. That's the narrative. It's not true. It's not true. The default rate went from like 2% up to like 5 It was It was not a, a big jump higher. Um, so sure, we can look at what's happening with mortgage-backed securities right now and say, oh, well, it's just interest rate risk there. Or hey, you might be able to argue the exact same thing with these commercial loans saying that, well, uh, they're going to have to be refinanced, but that's over the next two years. So we're not going to have to pay the fiddler for some time into the future. And this buys the banks all this time. Okay. Well, again, uh, we're not considering the uh, credit risk, especially with the commercial banks, or excuse me, with the commercial real estate right now, just like we weren't considering the credit risk in 2007 uh, with the mortgage-backed securities. And then going back to what I was saying earlier, we're also not considering the increased risk, decreasing the liquidity, and that being the main driver for the problems with the banking system moving forward. And that gets reflected in the in the pricing of, of those bonds that are trading, you know, still underwater from where they were a couple of years ago. Is there any scenario where that would be sort of a perfect storm? for um, some of these portfolios? I mean, you know, would it have to do with rates going up abruptly, for example, or no, because most of these, you know, the maturities are gradual of these particular loans. Is there anything else that you're worried about, I guess is what I'm asking, David. Yeah, well, the perfect storm would be, you know, inflation not getting to the Fed's 2% target, so the Fed stays higher for longer. And then the other part of that perfect storm scenario is going into a recession. So if we have a situation where the economy is slowing 
and rates are staying, you know, higher for longer um, because of higher, you know, inflation being sticky, that would make it very difficult for these borrowers to be able to withstand the higher rates when their loans come up for renewal. So it's really repricing risk um, that is one of the main risks with commercial real estate. Repricing risk, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. But where I would have uh, again a slightly different views. He was talking about, well, if we had an economic slowdown, like a recession and rates remained high, look, if you have a recession, I don't care where rates go, you're still going to have the same problem because the occupancy is going to collapse. The cash flow is going to collapse. And then you're, you're right back where you started with these commercial real estate loans going bust, going bad. That was the credit risk uh, that I talked about before. And uh, then of course, liquidity dries up circulation of money slows down and then you're right back uh, at Silicon Valley Bank in 2023 of, of, of March. But one thing that he pointed out here that I think is very important is when we look at consumer price inflation, we just assume that if inflation goes up by 10%, well, if I'm holding real estate, well, that's not a problem, right? Because my rents are going to go up by 10%. We just assume that. That, that rents are going to be equal at all times to the rate of inflation. And therefore, if inflation goes up, well, then all of a sudden, we've got all this additional, all these additional dollars coming in to service the nominal debt. But what we fail to understand or, or appreciate is in an environment where inflation is going up, your cash flows could be going down. And a perfect example of that is 2021, 2022. Hey, we had 9% inflation. Great. Guess what the cash flow did with these office buildings? It plummeted, absolutely plummeted to a point now where they're dropping rates. They're dropping, or excuse me, they're dropping, um, uh, well, they're dropping their prices, I should say, on how much it costs per square foot to rent. So they're dropping their prices, dropping their prices, dropping the prices, that reduces the amount of overall rent, that reduces the overall amount of cash flow, even in an environment where inflation is going up. So the main takeaway there is when you're analyzing the real estate market, residential or commercial, you, you've got to recognize that. You can't just assume that cash flows are going to go up if the rate of inflation goes up. It doesn't work that way. Just like the banking system itself, there's a lot of nuance there. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market, capitalism. See you in the next video.